Welcome to John F. Kennedy University's Soapbox Podcast, featuring top minds speaking on a variety of topics important in today's world. Welcome, everybody, to the John F. Kennedy Soapbox event, uh, Thursday Soapbox, I should say. My name is Ben Olmos with John Banks. John is the chair of the Creative Strategies program here at John F. Kennedy University, and it is a program that is coming together. It's an exciting thing that we're doing here at the university. Today, we are going to be getting into the art and business of creativity, and John has got a lot of years of experience around this. So, John, welcome. Thank you, sir. So, I started off giving a brief introduction about you. But mm-hmm. why not? Uh, yeah, it was quite brief. It was. It was. <laughs> Name and title only. Yes. Why, uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you here to okay. John F. Kennedy? So um, I've been an artist for a long time. And uh, many years ago in the 80s, uh, I was using computers uh, for art. And back then, computers were, you know, had six figures after the dollar sign. So we figured, several of us figured, the only way we can do this is by starting a company. Because then we'll have access to all this expensive equipment. And so we ran that for over a decade. Um, And that, we're all artists, but we were in a business. And we typically ran all night (laughs) when the phones turned off. Uh, And it gave me a great view into kind of the two sides of that we were using these tools, but then during the day we were working with filmmakers and advertising agencies and legal firms and all sorts of people who were getting into using uh, computer graphics for interesting things. And part of our role was training them. And so I got really interested in learning how how to give people information in the best way. And that led me to kind of move away from there and actually start teaching. Um, So I've been doing that for 20 years now and have maintained an art practice concurrent with that. Um, And um, most of the uh, education stuff I've done has been around the intersection of art and technology. Very nice. Um, Sometimes more on the art side, sometimes more on the business side. Um, it, it's kind of fluid there, but really I'm starting to view the whole thing as you know pieces of a whole. So what I find very interesting about this convergence of, of art and business is, and this is I think a lot of what your focus is with this program for John F. Kennedy, is understanding how those concepts that apply in the art world can also be used strategically in the business world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true to a point, right? Uh, a, a useful point. Um, they're not exactly the same, but, the, but they definitely do. I mean, creativity is the one thing. Everybody wants it, right? Um, design thinking is, a, is now a terminology that's been fully adopted by the business world. Um, there's art thinking as well which has not been as fully adopted yet. Um, But, you know, 
something that is, is often referenced and maybe is a good point to go off of here, and that's um, that there's a well-known study that IBM commissioned just a few years ago, and they, they interviewed 3,000 CEOs all around the world, not just in the United States, and they asked them, what are the key things they're looking for in their people? And they, um, without having a report in front of me, my memory is that it was creativity, collaboration, thinking outside of the box, ability to change. Um, and those are pretty much things that are not typically taught in any of our educational system. They are, but it's not a focus, right? right? So uh, what I always noticed was actually that's actually how the arts are taught. Those are the things that are valued in the arts. Um, so been really interested in, in um, staying on the art side, but also being very interested in how to help people leverage a process of understanding, a process of working, and a process of thinking into whatever they do. It's not just business, it's, you know, it's, it's really wherever. It's kind of a life skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, a fundamental part is lifelong learning. Right. You, you mentioned um, two different distinctions in the, way that you, in the way that you can think, the approach of design and the approach of, of kind of an art way of thinking. Sure. I can so, get into trouble with that. <laughs> so so help, us, uh, help us understand that, that distinction between design and okay. art. It's, it's too bad in a podcast that you can't have a written disclaimer you know, with an asterisk at the bottom, um, but this is opinion. And to me, um, artists and designers are both creating something. An artist is um, the, the, uh, the seed of the artist is to try to answer an internal interest or an internal question. A designer is working on a brief from an external source and is trying to derive what the external source wants and then create something that satisfies that. So some of the, the mechanics look the same, but the original source is uh, interior instead of exterior. How much do you think uh, the understanding or the framing up of the problem, if you will, uh, is a part of that? And when I say problem, I don't want to necessarily just think of something, something catastrophic. Wrong, yeah, right. right. But right. like, you know, like making sure right. that you're making looking a painting at, is a problem. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like it's blank, and you want it to be full. Right? So. Yeah. And so, how do you get from your starting point to the end point uh, and frame up that problem correctly? I mean, how much does pro framing up the problem play a part in either of those two approaches? Um, it's a little, well, process-wise, maybe from 20,000 feet, it's kind of the same, but the, the mechanics of it are slightly different. Um, so for an artist, the first there's observation, then typically there's a question. Um, it may be a momentary question, it may be kind of a lifelong recurring question, right? And that's the, that's the, the seed or the germ that you work off of. Like, um, I'm interested in uh, nature uh, the, and how it changes, okay? Like that's, I'm, I'm interested in that. What does that mean to me? 
like I'm asking questions about it. And, and the artwork is the, ex the exploration of that question. Um, a, in design, a good designer uh, is going to kind of go through that process externally. You're going to go to the client. You know, the tenets of design thinking are you derive your information with empathy from the source for which you are designing. So instead of saying, I need to make a toothbrush, I have a great idea and I'm going to make an awesome toothbrush, here you go. You go and ask questions. Well, who's it for? Oh, it's for kids. All right, I'm going to talk to some kids. I'm going to talk to some moms. I'm going to find out what's important to them. What kinds of things do they like, right? What's, what's the problem? And then I'm going to apply a creative process to try to derive a solution. And then we're just going to work back and forth on it because you don't get it right the first time. It's an iterative process. As you describe that, one of the things that makes me think of is um, in the world of Lean Six Sigma. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go down the business track here for okay. a second. So in the world of, of Lean Six Sigma, um, there is a model uh, called DMAIC, Design, Manage, Analyze, Improve, and Control. In the design phase, when they talk about understanding the problem, right? What, what is it that you're trying to do? They, the, the exact thing that you just mentioned is very much a part of that, which is understanding the voice of the customer mm -hmm. and asking a lot of questions of, you know, how does this work? How does it make you feel? Uh, what are the issues? What are the challenges? And really just kind of open-ended looking at that. So mm -hmm. I say that because I see from your explanation, a very good tie-in from this order of thinking that you're, that you're describing and needs that businesses have that right. ultimately you know, create improvement for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, that, that also brings up an underlying thing that's critical to mention, is that a lot of this stuff is not brand new today. We've been alive on the planet for a really long time. A lot of people have been thinking about stuff. And although we may be slightly reframing things a little differently, this all is logical, perfect sense. Occasionally it's forgotten and people go down a lot of blind alleys. But what I see more now is collecting a, you know, a basket of intelligent methods and then building a process out of it. You know, I mean, I think people have been asking how I should do it for a really, really long time, you know. But then they may not have the structures within to go back to that audience and see how it works or, or you know, to iterate on it and, and whatnot. Um, and they didn't, part of that comes from now we can make a prototype in an hour instead of waiting a month and spending $100,000 to get a prototype toothbrush we can make it in an hour and test it, right? And so that kind of changes the game and allows us to have greater access to people and whatnot. And this is really, really reshaping the way that people um, examine problems. One of the things I've been talking about a lot lately yeah. is that there is this notion that the easier we make things, the more creative people will be. And I tend to think that that's not necessarily the right way to go about it. I think innovation comes from not having all the resources you need 
and yeah, that certainly is. And and dealing with dealing with problems. Yeah, yeah. And and here in the Bay Area, with a lot of uh, with a lot of companies, I you know they they tend to want to alleviate people of thinking of problems, thinking that it'll create better solutions internally. Well, uh, there is some research that shows that. You know, you have to back up and think how does that fit in into your business model and timing. But, but really, you know, that boils down to talking about creativity for a minute. Mm -hmm. And some of the things about creativity that are interesting are, you know, typically you can view it. Steve Jobs said it really, really well. It's like, it's taking things that you know and recombining them in in unique and unexpected ways, right? But to do that, that that's not the whole story. To do that, you have to be in an environment where you can say, I don't have to deliver on this tomorrow, right? So I'm gonna go easiest, straightest path with the stuff I know, and we're just gonna jam it right in there. It's gonna be super cool. Instead, you uh, allow people some time to play. You allow, uh, um, you know, one of my strategies for artists is, is, to, is to know yourself and to give yourself time. Okay, um, because our brains work in a lot of different ways and we work really, really well when we push on something really hard and then we cool it for a little bit, right? Everybody knows all, you know, the whole shower eureka concept, right? And that, I mean, that is a real thing that we know about and that is because you're, you're jamming on your brain and you're kind of building yourself up but you cannot get over the finish line. You're, you're not doing that creative combination, okay? That comes from the second part when you're, when you're not thinking about it, when you're listening to music or you're, you're doing something where you're disengaged from it, and then that comes in. So currently, that's, we perceive that as work and play. And really what we need to do is we have to understand that those things are both valuable and we need them both. And so within the structure of a business, we, uh, you know, you have to allow somebody to like, you know, turn off the lights in their office and, and listen to music for a little bit and not say, yeah, they're not doing anything right now. <laughs> they have less value. It's not, it's just, you know, we have to bring that into what we're doing. So mm. one of the great things about art thinking is possibilities. You should really open yourself up lots of possibilities. But one of the skills that's associated with being an artist is the ability to kind of decide to, to toss the coins to say now, right? There's 16.7 million colors in my palette. Do I need to look at 16.7 million? No. I need to pick one and I need to use it. And then I'm not going to worry about it, right? So, uh, I remember our friend David at our Mod Creative event was saying that sometimes when he has people who are not producing what they need to within the schedule, that he cuts the schedule in half. Instead of giving them more time, he gives them less time. And they can no longer consider as many options. And it's just gotta happen, right? Um, and I like that. If that were true, then you need to think in a greater opportunity for iteration because you are making decisions under the gun and you need to maybe 
say, well, these are the ones that worked and these are the ones that didn't. But, um, you know, limits are, are good. I always think um, in the music world, Peter Gabriel is one of my favorite musicians. Those of you who are um, under 30 you know, probably don't know him. But <laughs> in any event, he's awesome and you'd love him. Go out there and discover um, Peter Gabriel. He, when he does a project, they set limits. Brian Eno is another one who does this a lot. It's like, okay, on this one, you're going to use an orchestra, and they can only do these things, and you know, here are the five things that you have to do. Because otherwise, it'll take 10 years to make an album, because there's so much cool stuff and so many talented people, and they can all do so many great things. You know? So because technology, and in, in my world, the, the digital implementation of imagery and sound has afforded infinite decision-making opportunities, the ability to make a decision becomes vital. And limiting options is a way of doing that as part of the process, but not the whole thing. You know, you still need to be able to do it. Which, you know, in a sense kind of plays back to what I was talking about, about not having all the resources you needed, right. not having all the time in the world. Right. I, you know, and I was, as I was thinking about clocks, I was thinking about that maybe putting people on, you know, you got to be in by this time stifles their creativity um, for some. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and those are some of the challenges I think that, that businesses deal with. Well, you know, I, I'm not sure what they're doing anymore, but I remember in the early 90s, IBM and a few other companies had, they were hiring artists as fellows and they didn't really have a specific thing that they had to do there. So they got some of the brightest minds from the arts and technology field and were like, like a think tank. It's like, come on in, we're gonna give you a lab, we're gonna give you some people to do stuff, have at it. You know, you might help with our structure, you might have some interesting new products, you might have observations on how we could do things. And uh, you know, that's not a new model, that's been around for a while. But there you have the business runs, but then you've got another layer that doesn't have the clock and doesn't have the structure that you can access at the same time. Because why really have a one-size-fits-all for what you do, right? Um, having long-term strategic thinkers is good. Right. And you know, there is this old thing, old, old thing in the art world where, you know, the artist leaves the village and goes into the woods for the period of time that they need to clarify their thinking. And then something is brought back that can be manifest that's valuable. And then the process repeats. Emerson and Thoreau were right. into that go into the woods. Right, 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 right. And you know, we live pretty comp compact lives. That could be from five to seven, I do that, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and that, that requires a lot more discipline, right? But, um, you know, if uh, filmmakers who work on films or writers who write a book, a big project, they follow that, that mold, you know? There's the prep work and that could be kind of loose or whatever. But when you get into the production, that is, those are long, tough, scheduled, detailed days. And then when the project is done, 
then there may be you know, bringing it out to the world and you're doing press and things like that. But then there's a period of reflection. What did I learn from that? What's the value of that? What am I going to do next? You know? So I think there needs to be an integration and a place for that as well. When <clears throat> we talk about creative strategy, mm -hmm. how does that resonate with you? Um, because, you know, you've got to be pretty excited about this opportunity to, you know, create something, mm -hmm. you know, here for the university. Yeah. Um, but something that is also going to be very serving, I think, to a lot of a lot of students, a lot of businesses. Right. Right. So how does that um, what are some of the things that get you the most excited about what is being developed? Well, or what I should say what has been developed. So, yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, the main thing is, are you going to help people get where they want to go? That's why you do something like this. And um, myself and some of the people I know uh, have had similar trajectories, and we've watched others. And we kind of found that a number of us who had arts training uh, and were told by our parents that, A, I don't understand what you're doing, and B, good luck, it's probably never going to amount to anything are often, you know, university presidents or started up uh, a company that's doing really well or are um, contributing to society in a major way. And it's not like one or two, it's like a whole bunch of the people that I knew. You know, I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in the 80s and like a whole bunch of those people have done a lot of great stuff. So there is a tip-off in that that there were things about the way we were trained that kind of set us off on a course where we could adapt to new situations. Because many of us are, are still artists, but that's um, uh, companion to other things we're doing. Okay? So that there are things in our training that were valuable. Um, and then there was a hard look at that. And those are the things that we've extracted as kind of like a process, right? So th there's a a, a process of how you can learn, there's a process of how you can adapt to change, um, there's a process of how you can, can continue to change, because obviously culture is speeding up at a pretty rapid rate, business is speeding up at a rapid rate. Um, the jobs of today are not the jobs of tomorrow. Um, and so jobs of today are not the jobs of yesterday. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. Five o'clock is not seven o'clock. Um, so by looking at all those things, we tried to pull out the things that we thought were valuable um, and create an experience that would help people. Um, you know, we're slanted towards the creative world, but uh, it works for people who are running NGOs. It, it works for uh, people who are engineers, it works for people who are teachers, it wor works for people who are self-employed. And one of the key things is, is that our thing is th that it's creating a space because a lot, of this, a lot of this is experiential learning. You know, it's learned through the body, it's learned through uh, on-the-ground experience of setting up scenarios and allowing people to function in them instead of somebody just telling you things. It's set up so that there's not, um, I couldn't write a book that says these are the 27 things that will get you there. I would write a book that had 300 things in it that says you're you, 
figure out who you are and take the 20 out of this that are going to work for you and then expand them into something new, right? Because our thing is you can be creative about being an artist. Why can't you be creative about what you do with your life and how you think, right? right? So <clears throat> it's, it's really just getting people in a, a situation where they can learn how to adapt, they can learn how to, how to apply. I also I have this quote that I will read yeah. that's important with this, and that is um, a key thought within this, uh, and that's holding a creative and informed understanding of ongoing change along with specific knowledge in the moment. And what that boils down to, to me, is that the stuff I'm talking about is allows you to create a large framework in which you can work at this job and that job or this segment of a company or another segment of a company. But at any given day, you must produce, and that is tangible. So the companion to what we talk about in the program a lot is the hard skills that go with it, okay? So in my world, that's uh, how to make an image with uh, you know, a computer, how to, how to create an interactive experience, how to understand human-centered design, you know, something that is definitive. And then this framework is built on top of that. Um, but part of the framework is allowing you to take your history, your knowledge of experience, and really get good at something relatively quickly and understand that that knowledge is transitory, right? I mean, anybody who's worked on a computer, just think of the operating system. The stuff that you did to get your work done five years ago is not what you do now. It all changed, right? And you just jettisoned that and got the new one. So if part of your thinking is like knowing that that's gonna happen continually, it's much easier to let go of it. And then it's great to have some strategies to adapt to that. And it's really, and it sounds like it's really, um, Marcus Buckingham talks about <clears throat> knowing your strengths yeah. Connecting with your strengths and, right. and exploiting those strengths and not necessarily as sometimes happens in, in, uh, uh, in education, there's sometimes this tendency to say, well, you're not strong at a particular thing, so let's overwork you on that thing until you get better instead of really pushing people towards, well, let's focus on all that stuff that you're really good at and try and blow that up. Good job on that. I, you know, that's a, that's a slightly un unanswered question for me, but my personal experience, which is not enough to form a study on, <laughs> is um, I've run a lot of collaborative teams. And um, I've experimented over the years with picking, you know, we do personality tests, we do lots of interviews. Everybody gets to know where people get their juice from, so to speak, right? Where their strengths are, the areas that are hard. So. I've experimented both with like picking the people who are good at what we want them to do and then we've tried the flip side of picking somebody who that is the hardest thing for them to do hoping that they can really just kind of break through that membrane and get really good at it. Um, the latter there, the picking people to who it's hard for them, created misery and low productivity. And a lot of it, disengagement. It, it, it really, <laughs> it was not functional. Yeah. Um, 
And that, that's kind of counterintuitive if you're, a, if you're an optimist. You know, you believe everybody can overcome everything. But it's really, why? There's a lot of options in the world. Why not go for the ones that kind of make sense for you, right? There were occasionally people who were misguided, who thought that they, like, wanted to be the person who talked to the client. But really, uh-uh. You know, that was not it. And that's education is really great for making those mistakes in a, in a low-cost environment you know, to the situation, right? Um, what I did find was useful is we would have days where uh, somebody who found something hard would shadow somebody who was good at it and not have to perform it, but would get experiential insight into, okay, I get what this is. Still not for me, but I, I really get what this is. And that's really having a heightened sense of self-awareness. Right. And, and <clears throat> understanding situational awareness as well. Right. And, 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 and like everything else, there's no rules. People can change. People can get stuff that they didn't get. It, it definitely happens. And sometimes but, it just comes later. Yeah. But I'm, you know, some of the, some of the testing, you know, um, you know, Kolb's learning theory and some of the things that you, you can look at are, are pretty good at, at helping people understand how they're built, you know at a really kind of fundamental level. Right. And th those are, it's a super helpful thing to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to open it up to uh, questions here in just a moment, but um, before I do, um, are, there any, uh, are there any burning things that um, you don't feel that we've talked about yet? Well, so let me think of it this way. Uh, we. Um, wrote about this event in, in a couple of different voices, really. Um, and there was one part where we talked about um, strategies for artists to understand technology and change. So I did some thinking on that. So I wanted to maybe kind of give a, yeah, a brief list of some <laughs> of the things that over the years that I have thought might be actually useful. So know yourself, that's the one we talked about quite a bit already. Um, for artists, going through a process of understanding what's important to you seems simple, but it's a critical thing to do. There are lots of ways of doing that. Um, you know, like with, uh, I go back to the, the Buddhist technique of like, well, if you're going to die tomorrow, what are you going to do today? Right? <laughs> it goes, you know, exercises like that. I prefer things like, you know, what, what do you gravitate to when, when you have the time? You know, um, and then let's let's seize on that. Let, let's work on that. Um, that's an important one to, to kind of dig into. Um, know the culture in which you're existing. Um, what's happening in circles close to you, big and small. Um, how's the energy aligned in those circles? That kind of ties into once you decide what's important to you. How do you think you can play in? Uh, the greater culture with that. Okay, I think too, and not to interrupt you, but no, I think that, free. that is, I, I want to stop on that point because I think what's really important there too is that you have to surround yourself with people who mm -hmm. are your champions. Right. Who want to see you do well because there's nothing in it for them except their enjoyment of seeing you do well. Uh, and I think that lends a lot to just, you know, having the right group of 
friends and family right. that right. can really encourage you right. uh, in the right direction. Interestingly enough, uh, that's the two ahead for me. I call it being close to the centers, um, being uh, exposed to outside influences. I find a lot <clears throat> when we've had people come into the program, the very first course is kind of a survey of the emergent art field. And people are like, what, wait, there's somebody who can photograph Wi-Fi signals and they're like these beautiful visual arrays on buildings what you know or you can do this or you can you know it's like i wouldn't i didn't know that that's fascinating yeah. but just being in a center of energy where there's collaboration and things happening is really key and obviously you know distance has collapsed in the world immeasurably and the web can show you uh, an endless supply of things and i'm not berating that in the least but there's nothing that beats living with those people. You know, a university experience is phenomenal because on a cohort model, everybody's together, you're all working together. Um, uh, a startup company or a small group of people are feeding off each other. That's, you, you really kind of can't beat that. Um, being a lifelong learner, you know, you never, it's not like the old days where, you know, I learned what I need to learn and now I'm done. <laughs> I can just keep doing what I know. You know, that, that just never stops and it doesn't stop on so many levels that, that it's kind of astounding. Um, one of the ones that I like, it's, it's almost like a meta version of that is like, okay, I thought of like, I thought of something really super cool and I'm a well-known artist or musician now and I'm doing that. And so I figured that out, super cool. If you don't think you're not going to have somebody disrupt you the way you disrupted them, it, it's, you're, it's so short-lived, right, that it, you got to keep moving. you got to keep that going. you got to be a lifelong Especially learner. Especially in this global Right. World and it's not in. always the new thing. Something that we forget. I read something recently, and I loved it. And it was like, go back and think of every 101 course you ever took in college and all the information you forgot 30 minutes after you took the exam. What are the basics of physics? What are the basics of language? What happened in the history of the Eastern and Western world? I would say just help your kids with their homework and you'll rediscover <laughs> what you don't know. <laughs> that is great. I love that. I love that. But it's like, you know, it doesn't always have to be, oh, there's a new blah, blah, you know, unpronounceable word of this cool thing. It's like sometimes it can be like, really, how does physics work? I don't remember what happens. Right. You know, um, so being a lifelong learner is great. Um, build strategies for experimenting and learning. Um, one of the ones I like is uh, that I used to work with students a lot, especially when they were uh, image-based things and there's something cool you can do. I used to do what I called the refrigerator test. So that was like experiment with something really cool, find out what this tool does. Um, years ago, when Photoshop first came out, the image making tool, there was a filter in there that would spin a photograph in, into a circle. It looked like it was done in paint and you could spin it. And I was like, awesome, take that and put it on your fridge. You don't need to show that to anybody. You know, you need to experiment 
then you kind of need to keep it close to the vest because you pressed a button and that happened. Because those of us who are sitting on juried shows at that point, if there were 700 entries, 550 of them were somebody who thought that was a really cool thing to do to a picture of their cat. Um, and that's what we saw. So, you know, I developed, it's like, keep it at home, right? Experiment, but keep it at home. Do it with your kids. Keep it close, right? Um, I, feel one, like, I feel like the augmented reality filters are, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the new version of that, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, give credence to your history. The more history you have, the more you can apply it to the next thing, right? You know, taking my quote of like, have the big picture of change, but that at any moment you gotta come down. That moment that you gotta come down is not always whole new cloth. It's based on things that you knew before. So, and I've got more stuff on the list, but I'm not gonna go through our time too much. I guess the, the last one I'll say is every tool is hackable. You don't need to use it for what it was intended for, right? Can be repurposed. Just a super quick thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I taught in Vermont before I was here, and the, the group that was there, this was not my idea, it was a student idea. We were working with a group who worked with young people who had um, lung ailments, and they had breath tests. Uh, exercises they had to do every day and they were teenagers they were like forget it, I'm not doing it so what the students did is there's this musical thing called MIDI which is a real simple uh, computer way of making sound um, most often it's a keyboard but can also be wind directed yep. and so we had a series of mu uh, musical compositions that they had to blow to make sounds, it was a game, and they had to blow to make sounds to accompany the music, and we wrote the music to hit the cadence of their breathing that they needed to have for the exercises. And to me, that encapsulated the whole thing. It was a complete innovation on a tool that was not designed for that, that was like really creative, taking things and combining them in a new, unthought of way, you know? So I just think stuff like that's key. No, very cool. Well, thank you. Um, let's go ahead and, and open it up to questions. So the question is, if you've had an artistic background and you're working in or with uh, communities who do not have that background, how do you convince them of the value of it and, the, and, uh, and why you would want to do it? So um, as a teacher, the first thing that I would say is, the power of metaphor is very strong. So as a trainer or a teacher, what you try to do is understand a little bit of the language of those you're talking to, and then you translate what you want them to know into that language. Um, that can often be done by, um, you know, that IBM study that I mentioned. That's like a great thing to trot out because IBM's highly respected it's a, it's a peer-reviewed study, I think, um, <laughs> that, that has a lot of information in it. And one of the pieces of, of information um, in a study like that that another group did said that 100% of Ivy League schools now do design thinking. So it can be you know, presented as 
that this is not new. This is, these are techniques that are been around for many, many years. Although you may not be familiar with them, we have data that says they produce results. Because it really, my sense of your question is um, you're talking about more rigid scenarios, right? Um, where you feel resistance to these sorts of ideas. And so the thing there is you have to meet somebody on their playing field and say, well, the way you understand the world, I can show you how that this will produce a result that's better than what you were getting before. You know, I think it touches too on what you were uh, talking about earlier around collaboration. In the process improvement manufacturing arena, they have an approach that was uh, developed in Japan, Gemba. Okay. Right? And Gemba is just going out, walking the shop floor, walking the office floor. But at the end of the day, it's really promoting being collaborative, you know, mm. understanding what the process is by going and actually visually engaging in it, uh, physically engaging in it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that also, you know, kind of complements what you're talking about mm -hmm. is um, you kind of you kind of need that. Right. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, question being around Common Core uh, principles being taught and the focus on collaboration in that environment as well. Really, um, the whole point of it is also like, for example, there's five to six different ways to teach multiplication now. Like, they, they do a lot of that and get getting kids to think about their thinking, all that, and of course, collaboration every 10 minutes. Turn around and discuss, turn around and do that. And mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting, I mean, it's, kind of, it's cool because everything you're saying is exactly what we're trying to teach five-year-olds nowadays. Right. So, so yeah, so you're saying that, that some of the things that we're saying are valuable are being taught as, as the common core. And, and um, you know, I have, I have a seven-year-old in first grade, and I'm in the classroom, you know, once a week. So uh, I agree. I, I am seeing that. Um, if, if these sorts of things can continue, then you're going to reach, you know, different types of learners. Um, you are going to uh, teach people greater skills and also great, greater understanding of each other. Um, I think when the standardized testing comes in, that gives me some pause as to how that's all going to go um, because I'm not sure it stays all the way through. But um, I think that's, uh, it's good to hear. It is interesting that we're <laughs> just an observation on the conversation. So uh, if on one hand we're saying um, there are multiple ways to get to the answer, and then we also say, but then there's standardized testing, that's kind of a <laughs> counterbalance to, to that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just briefly, that's the political schism between what people want and what they have to do. Right. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, it always, uh, I remember reading something a while back, uh, they were talking about IQ tests. And the question is really, well, what are they testing? Because, you know, are we testing knowledge? Are we testing recall? Are we testing problem solving? Um, to what extent is a measure of your intelligence a true measure of an individual's intelligence. Mm -hmm. 
um, because you know there there are plenty of people who would do terrible on an intelligence test who are who think just think differently and are very intelligent right. you know in a different direction it's just not a fit yeah not a fit for the test mm -hmm. agreed so the question is um, given the emphasis on design and and the history of creative uh, creativity and design do you think that design as a degree will ever go away? Um, it's hard to say on that. I mean, I see um, the, the positive movement of integrating it into, uh, you know, a wide array of subjects and thinking because it, it's a basic methodology, right? should have been there all along and the fact that it's getting it now is great. Um, it really, you know, depends on how we innovate on what a design degree is going forward. Um, because hopefully all those goalposts move together, right? As it moves then there's not necessarily higher but unique, more um, detailed and also at the same time broader visions of, of what it is. You know, what's interesting is that when, when you think of, it, one thing that we talked about earlier was the fact that, you know, the jobs of today, you know, are not the jobs of tomorrow, they're the jobs of yesterday. And uh, probably for you and I, growing up, um, we didn't have mm -hmm. YouTube stars, a very mm -hmm. real career option for mm -hmm. people. And so today as we're educating people we don't know what the next iteration of that is going to right. be you know with the with the emergence of augmented reality and virtual reality um, and, and AI yeah in it, particular. It's, yeah. it's really changing the way that we do things and even this as uh, as a podcast Alexa and you know Google Home and all of these voice-based devices are really starting to change the way that we interact mm -hmm. with devices. Mm -hmm. And it's going to change the way that we design tools, um, you know, and cars and the proliferation of self-driving vehicles is going to, you know, force us to think differently and just do things differently. Yeah, well, I would add one piece to that, and that is like, it's not a job that people will have, it's all the jobs that people will have. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there will be many, right? Yeah, and we're, we're kind of in very, this- very, quickly. You know, we're right now, we always talk about the gig economy. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is there's a lot of people these days who are freelancing their, uh, their livelihood, mm -hmm. and they just hop from one Thing to the other yeah. and kind of cobble together what they need yeah. uh, to live and uh, you know they're, they're doing quite well I mean it, it's this pursuit of multiple revenue streams right well I think of um, so when I worked in this field at another institution um, like seven years ago the first year everybody we graduated got jobs in social media because back then it was like what is this we need it we don't get it we'll hire you right so that lasted a couple of years. And then, you know, we tracked these people over the years. And 
they mostly, they moved to big data, and then they moved to AI or VR, or they worked for game companies or whatnot. So it was really, they were taking the skill set that they had developed about how to learn something new, how to adapt to it, how to find the value in it, and then present that value to others. And then they could just move from one thing to the next to the next. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we haven't even gotten started on quantum computing, which is going to just, you know, change everything once again. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I can see where the attributes of the qualities that you're putting into a program like this really will help prepare people for right. those kind of seismic shifts. In the yeah, way things I, mean, are, I mean, that's yeah. the plan. I mean, is that they really need um, to have the experience, and that's, again, that's another key thing. It's not just learning, it's, the, it's living it, mm -hmm. um, of, like how to adapt to something new very quickly and you know get value out of it would you say i'm going to make an analogy here um star wars fan right so sure. would you, so oh, yeah. would, you <laughs> would you say i'm not that, saying no in this room <laughs> <laughs> would you say that this is a little bit of jedi training that we're going to give you uh and prepare you with the tools that you'll need and it's not necessarily you know, a one size fits all, but it's going to give you the mental mindset that's going to allow you to sure. adapt to all of these different oh, yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm right. Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So um, any questions? Yes. Top three skills to develop for someone to be adaptable, highly adaptable. So how to adapt to like our the way current technology change has happened. Um, so the first one would be to study the history of disruption. And that's, I mean, that term, that's one of those terms that's right on the edge of losing meaning because it's being overused so much. But whenever something's like that, it's very critical to go back to what it really means. And it's like, you have to get that because whatever you live in has value for just a period of time. And then that va value starts to diminish and it can happen really slow or really fast, right? Um, and by studying uh, it historically, it not only sets you up for seeing it, it gives you some tools as to how to ride the next wave, right? Um, the second one would be to just the absolute simplest and widest thing is to keep an open mind about asking questions. Because if you're sure that putting a record on a record player is the only way you're ever going to hear music, then life's going to be tricky, right? But if you are like, I just love music, I don't really care how it happens, then you're just kind of set up for how it moves from there. Um, and then, and this one's a little meta, uh, but it's really just building strategies for change. And that's kind of a personal thing, but there's some ways of doing it. One of the ones I love to do is to, there, there's kind of two closely aligned ones. One which is to just think of the term of entropy, like, it's California, right? There's a lot of nature. Um, if you've lived someplace for a while, are the same trees there? Is the same grass there? No, 
but it still could be beautiful. It's still awesome, but it's going to continue to change. Why would we be any different, right? Um, I just, uh, you know, the other part of that is uh, think of yourself when you're in eighth grade. Part of you is the same, but the way that you actually interact and deal with things, do you really think it's the same? It's not. You've been replaced multiple times <laughs> over the years, and yet you're still here and you're fine, right? So you've dealt with change. It's, it can be a good thing. You, you just have to, acceptance of it, I think, maybe goes a long way towards giving somebody the ability to um, be at ease with it. So as you're shaping young minds into this uh, design and, and creative way of thinking and putting them out into the workforce, how do you also prepare them to deal with those challenges of systems that aren't necessarily ready for change? Right. A um, couple of quick things. Just on a, on a real world standpoint, the typical grad student that I deal with is like 36 and has already worked for maybe five or seven years. So there, there's already some understanding of the, politics is too crass of a word, but the, but the, the mechanics of being in the workplace. Um, and many of them are coming because of a frustration uh, that they have in that. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're coming to graduate school because they're, they're uh, you know, feeling that they want to have the tools to, to move forward in their environments. Um, you know, part of your answer is it's going to be really hard for some people. And there's not a magic bullet that goes around that. Um, but, uh, you know, the process approach as opposed to the I know five things approach should allow you to adapt, um, apply what you know about you know, how collaborative teams work, conflict resolution, you know, those basic things, um, and see if you can, can um, you know, work those things in, slowly but surely. Because really, all businesses want to, uh, the concept of disruption has been around for a really long time. Um, and a lot of businesses are just getting they're just getting buried at this point, you know. Um, it's very, very hard for many of them. So many, many places are searching for a way to adapt and find new things. But to go back to some of the stuff that I answered with the other question, it's, it's building metaphor, being respectful, being patient. Um, a lot of times um, startups happen within a, a host company. So it's not really spun off. It's not like five of us are leaving and doing something new. It's five of us are moving down the hall and we're gonna be doing something new within this organization. You know? And that happens more and more and more. Um, so you know, there's options there, but um, you know, there are, have been ongoing culture clashes in that world for a long time and I certainly don't see this alleviating it. But I think the process Viewing things as a process gives you more tools to adapt than average. I will say, um, just to kind of dovetail on that, I was reading an article recently that talked about um, 
the Generation X generation is now at a point where they are more, taking on more of the senior roles in organizations. And a lot of what we're seeing in companies um, with policy changes, working at home, being more flexible, um, giving people more time off, is really being driven by the Gen X uh, generation more so than even though the millennials are oftentimes getting uh, you know, the feedback on that, saying that, oh, the workplace is changing because of millennials. It's actually Generation X that's really making those evolutions. Um, and I think a lot of that probably occurs because uh, that generation really was on, um, you know, the, the early days of computers being a regular thing. Um, that, you know, their, uh, you know, that first generation of latchkey kids as well. So, um, you know, maybe with that trend, we're going to see organizations continue to, you know, iterate and evolve in that direction. So they're a little bit more open to that. That, that does remind me of one other thing. And, you know, I've kind of cooled it a little bit with some of the technology stuff tonight. But, um, you know, the people who go through our program have spent a lot of time applying these processes to understanding technology. And that honestly gives them an angle when they come into an organization because organizations struggle with the new and they particularly struggle with new technology because systems are embedded, they're very difficult to change. And when they do change, it's not only stuff is done differently, but the culture around how the stuff is done gets disrupted. And so, you know, if they're handling things the right way, uh, oftentimes these new people who are coming in are, are in a good position to be leaders in that and given greater respect because of that. Well, John, thank you very much. Folks, thank you all for uh, joining yeah, us. Thank you. And, I appreciate uh, it. Thank you, John. Sure. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of John F. Kennedy University's Soapbox Lecture Podcast. These and other events going on at John F. Kennedy University can be found by going to www.jfku.edu event. The John F. Kennedy University community strives to provide an exceptional student experience that is engaging and student-focused. John F. Kennedy University students succeed in attaining their educational goals based on their dedication to learning and fueled by their passion to make a difference. For more information about classes at John F. Kennedy University, please go to www.jfku.edu and click the Request Info link. To check out our schedule of upcoming Soapbox lectures or to grab tickets to attend one live, go to www.jfku.edu calendar. All Soapbox lectures are open to the public and we encourage you to join us.